So welcome back to the Film Frequency show. Um, we're back for our first director discovery of season four. And today um, we're going to be focused on uh, Taika Waititi. Because of course he has a big new film out uh, this week, which is Thor Love and Thunder. Um, so yeah, he's from New Zealand. Mark, do you want to tell us a little bit about Mr. Waititi? Okay, so Taika Waititi, also known as Taika Cohen, hails from the Rokokore region of the east coast of New Zealand and is the son of Robin, um, a teacher, and Taika Waititi, an artist and farmer. His father is Maui and his mother is of Ashkenazi, Jewish, Irish, Scottish and English descent. Taika has been involved in the film industry for several years, initially as an actor and now focusing on writing and directing. The Two Cars One Night is Taika's first professional filmmaking effort and since its comp- completion in 2003 he has finished another short Tamatu about a group of Maui soldiers in Italy during World War II. As a performer and comedian Taika has been involved in some of the most innovative and successful original productions seen in New Zealand. He regularly does stand-up gigs in and around the country and in 2004 launched his solo production Taika's Incredible Show. As an actor, Taika has been critically acclaimed for both his comedic and dramatic abilities. In 2000, he was nominated for Best Actor at the Nokia Film Awards for his role in the Sarkis Brothers film Scarface. Taika is also an experienced painter and photographer, having exhibited both mediums in Wellington and Berlin and a fashion designer. He attended the Sundance Writers Lab with Choice, a feature loosely based on Two Cars One Night. Taika became a blockbuster director with his film Thor Ragnarok in 2017 and received critical acclaim and a Best Adapted Screenplay Oscar for his film Jojo Rabbit in 2019. Yeah, so um, you mentioned there, Mark, about uh, what, uh, sorry, um, Thor Ragnarok, which was kind of his big breakout role. So we're actually just going to start with his latest film, which is Thor Love and Thunder, which is his uh, second outing um, with Thor as the main character. I felt like there were about five different films in this one film. And they were all great concepts. You had the likes of A Journey with the Guardians of the Galaxy, which could have been really cool. You have the whole cancer storyline with Jane. You've got going to Zeus and the where was the, the place that uh, they all hung out, all the gods. I've forgotten what that was called, that Colosseum area. Um, and then you've got uh, Christian Bale's uh, uh, The God Killer. What's he, what was his name? They're all, it's not Korg. Gore, there's Gore, there's Korg, and there's Thor, and there's they're all like one syllable names that are very similar. So yeah, you have loads of different like storylines, and I feel like they didn't spend enough time on any of them. Yeah, because it's a very short film as well, wasn't it? As well under two hours, I think. Um, it's very short for a Marvel movie. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to see. Um, you know, on the back of you know the success of Ragnarok, um, it did. I think I mentioned it feels very much like the sequel to Ragnarok rather than the fourth Thor film because he, you know, he's been through a lot and stuff, but he just seemed a bit more kind of just jokey and stuff. Um, yeah, and the whole like Korg thing, he got killed off and then he wasn't dead and, you know. You know, Korg went from being my favourite part of Ragnarok to being my least favourite of this film. Um, I don't feel like he should have maybe played as big a part as he did in this. Clearly, this is Hollywood learning the worst, like, the taking the worst bits out of a success you know they see what people liked in a previous film and went oh people like this give more 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 like yeah let's give this 200 percent." when it's like no it worked at 20 percent. don't be destroying it from there and i think they then decided yeah we'll bring him along for the entire journey also because he's a rock person and you're getting shots quite far away from him you're not seeing any facial expressions so it's just taika Waititi's voice and it sounds like taika Waititi in a voice or in like a sound box just 
inserting a line every so often through the film. And I've realized a lot of the lines that Korg was saying was saying were not even being responded back by Thor or by Jane Foster. So it was just like, it just felt very inserted and then we're carrying on with the film. I realized that this film, I think, was the first MCU film that I've seen other than Spider-Man and Endgame and Infinity War since Thor Ragnarok. So the last film I actually saw in the MCU was the previous Thor film. Um, and I, I've said to Corey as well before, I was never, I never was on the hype train for Thor Ragnarok. So I thought this could be, and the fact that this was getting lukewarm reviews, I was like, oh, I may very much hate this. And I didn't hate it. It was just kind of middling against something similar to Ragnarok. Not good, not as good. Like I felt like there was a lot of clashings of tones. I felt like the first two thirds of the film were really Taika Waititi directing. And then basically Marvel went, Taika, we'll take over from here and we'll do our classic breezy mcu finale yeah it was funny speaking of the kids this is the the kid at the end who played love is, is hemsworth's own daughter um, which is kind of cool because i thought it was christian bale's daughter originally but all of their kids are in it as playing you know some of the kids in the group um but it was quite it's just kind of funny that that's his wee girl who plays love at the end of it um maybe maybe setting her up for a future in the mcu but some i heard some funny stories on set like you know she just was not having any of it and she was just like the scene at the start where she had to kiss christian bale's head she was all like he's stinking or whatever and she was running off and chris hemsworth was trying to wrangle her and stuff but yeah i thought that was kind of cool that they had her um show up at the end of it but yeah overall i mean i i didn't mind it i I think i gave it like a seven out of ten it wasn't definitely not ragnarok levels i did all the reviews online i saw seemed that it was going to be just a night out comedy but i wasn't expecting the dark storyline with jane and stuff like i'm glad that was in and uh, i thought they were so abrupt i hated the start part of the cancer storyline with her i felt like that was so breezed over so quickly and they made a joke of it as well. They were like, oh, it's only stage four. And they were like, well, how many stages are there? And she was like, oh, I don't know. And I was like, you're a neurophysicist um, or neuroscientist. Of course, you like, I just felt like it was. And also, I kind of, you know, especially when you're bringing in these fantastical elements where you're bringing in the gods and Zeus and all, I'm thinking, where were they in the MCU when you were doing the likes of the Infinity War and Thanos? So, yeah, um, I would say it was the first kind of Taika Waititi film for me where I did not see his clear, like, his style of humour as much. Even though there was jokes, there was clear jokes through the whole film, it didn't feel his style, like his, like the, the very New Zealand-esque style. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. I just did not, none of them really landed for me. I still enjoyed it as a Marvel film, but, um, yeah, it's done well at the box office. It's done pretty well, This I just saw. And uh, On the note of the box office, actually, I wanted to say, I'm going to make a prediction that... This will be the first film that will do worse than its predecessor. That's my guess. Because I feel like, I mean, I haven't watched Phase 4 films up till now. I've kind of just followed the conversation. Um, and to be honest, after hearing that this is one of the bright spots of Phase 4, and maybe best that I haven't touched the other bits. Um, and I think that there's a lot of goodwill that Marvel has built up. And that's what's kept these other films afloat um, and still doing very well. And of course, I think a lot of people thought that Doctor Strange was going to be this next level kind of almost Avengers film where they were going to rectify or change an awful lot after that film. That film was going to have a lot of consequences. Um, and then it kind of turned out to just be Doctor Strange 2. And I think, yeah, my prediction is this won't make as much as Thor Ragnarok. 
Now, I think it's open bigger than that, but it'll fall. I, my guess is it'll fall off quicker. So, yeah, I think Marvel may need to start playing its A game again if it's going to prevent drops happening, but we'll see. Okay, so without this, um, you know, moving into whole MCU discussion, as it often does, let's switch over back to YTD's earlier career. And I think a lot of his comedy kind of it started and you know it's it's built from his relationship with Jermaine Clement so back in 2007 um, he had his directorial debut and television debut and um, writing debut in uh, 2007 with Flight of the Concords which ran from 2007 to 2009 but he also directed um, Eagle vs Shark which was his um, debut movie and it starred Jermaine Clement and um, Lauren Taylor um, and it's about the tale of two socially awkward misfits and the strange ways they try to find love through revenge on high school bullies, burgers and video games. Now I think I watched this film over um, the lockdown. I give it a 5 out of 10. I didn't like it. Um, this this is probably before, this is probably the last um, YTD film I saw before Jojo Rabbit so um, I came to this quite late and I, I could see some of his, his comedy in it but a lot of it didn't land I didn't find it that very that funny and Jermaine Clement um, I think he's pretty good in it but it's it's definitely not my favourite it's probably my least favourite Taika Waititi film has anyone else seen? I haven't seen it but I, did, I do know that Lauren Taylor used to be his girlfriend as well so he really did keep it in the family between Clement his college friend and collaborator Taylor girlfriend and collaborator so you can maybe see a debut where all the people are mates with each other it may not yeah. a flight of the concords is it's something um i knew a lot of people it was huge indie and i, I only watched it over lockdown there i it's very very funny um i think it's it's a great it has all that dry humor of of those guys bits of it are kind of strange some of the songs are, are great in it but um yeah so taika watiti um, writes a lot of it um and the same with uh, Jeremy and Clement, I think they kind of bounce back and forth in terms of writing on that show. Um, but they, yeah, it's really good. It's it's worth a watch. Um, I know they went on tour with that. I don't think Taiko Tidi was involved, but I do think uh, the Flight of the Concords went on tour and, and toured all around the world. So it was a real cult classic, and I think you know people still are really into it today. Um, but yeah, three years after that, so after kind of the run of Flight of the Concords in twenty ten, he wrote uh, and directed Boy, which he actually stars in as well. And um, Mark, did you see? Boy, um, what, what was the kind of storyline of Boy? Yeah, well, the storyline, I'll just give a quick synopsis of it. Um, in 1984, 11-year-old Boy, so he's actually, it's a young boy called Boy, lives on a farm in, I think, East New Zealand. And I think this might be from where Taika Waititi grew up as well. And apparently the profits of this film uh, were given back to the community or a certain element of it, which is cool. Um, and so it's about Boy and his younger brother, Rocky, who thinks he has magic powers. They're Gran and a goat. He loves his goats, Taika Waititi, I'm starting to realise. Um, shortly after, Gran leaves for a week. Boy's father, Alamein, appears out of the blue. That's played by Taika Waititi. Having imagined a heroic version of his father during his absence, Boy comes face to face with the real version, an incompetent hoodlum who has returned to find a bag of money he buried years before. This is where the goat enters. <laughs> That's how the synopsis finishes. Um, and yeah, I watched this during lockdown. And it was a really refreshing film. It was one of the best films I saw during lockdown. And arguably, maybe my favourite Taika Waititi film. It would be between this and What We Do in the Shadows. I actually think this is better than... Um, what's the other one? Hunt for the Wilder People. Yeah, it's funnier than the Hunt for the Wilder People. And I think it's also more moving. Um, the, the, boy, the kid that plays Boy is fantastic in this film. He's, he's excellent. Um, James Rolston, I believe. Um, and... It just shows you, you know, kind of a light 
tone on what an underprivileged family, a very underprivileged family in New Zealand is having to experience and how he's having to look after the family. Um, it's quite quirky. It's got the, it's Taika Waititi bringing his A game with his humor. Um, and even the wee brother, Rocky, um, you know, who believes he's got superpowers. Obviously they don't have many things and belongings and he has to try and be very creative. So, and he kind of, makes or like kind of forms a relationship with i think like a, a a homeless person nearby and he believes that he can control different things that happen to the person and then they jump to this kind of cool stop motion sketch animation to show what uh rocky f- is visualizing is happening it's really really well done and then when taika Waititi comes on the scene who's a bit of a douchebag and um, terrible father who's just there back to get money um boy has to realize that his father's not where he had him kind of placed in his mind and it's it's a really sad sweet story um and yeah i would definitely say to everyone to to dig this one out and give it a watch because it's definitely underappreciated it's it's one of taiki watiti's best yeah definitely um it's nice you know that he went back to his his hometown and 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 it's interesting that a lot of his films don't actually take place in New Zealand. You know, we've got obviously some fantastical places with Thor, and then I think um, what we do in the shadows takes place in in America, and then obviously Jojo Rabbit, um, isn't in in New Zealand either. Moving on, a couple of years later, um, oh, sorry, four years later in twenty fourteen, he released What We Do in the Shadows, which is probably, I mean, for me, his best film, and this was in back with Jermaine Clement, um, written and directed directed by Jermaine Clement. And yeah, it kind of it tells the story of these kind of four, <laughs> four vampires who kind of live together um, in their, their flatmates, basically. And it just shows you their day to day life. And it's done in, in like a mockumentary style. So this is uh, obviously in the in the time where the office and stuff was was really big back in the early 2000s. And this kind of takes that to a whole new level where you have um, a, a camera, a fictional camera crew following the bite, but they're obviously doing all their vampire based things like eating people drinking blood um all sorts but you know i think when i saw the trailer for this i was like this looks like the funniest thing ever because there's a whole joke about like um i think it's deacon's character uh, the character deacon not paying rent and stuff and oh, i just thought it was absolutely hilarious and there's taiko Titi's like hoovering the ceiling while he's flying i thought that was absolutely comical but um yeah it's one of my favorite films of all time actually i'm a huge fan of what we do in the shadows and it, it's spot it's span of course a, a tv show as well that's still going on and what about yourself alex have you seen it Never seen it, no. My my introduction to Taika Waititi came incredibly late in Jojo Rabbit followed by Thor Ragnarok, so my knowledge of him is informed a lot more by the bigger blockbuster things that he'll have done rather than all the more idiosyncratic New Zealand stuff that he's done. That's a surprising line from you, um, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> you should definitely watch his earlier stuff. It is better than his later stuff, I would say, in my opinion. Yes, I think I've been put off more by his later stuff, but that's something we can get into. And watching this, um, I watched this again with Kirsty, um, uh, I think late last year, and it was it was better than the first time I watched it. And again, there's I would f- find with me, there's few films I'll watch a second time that I'll go, that was better than the first. And that was one of them. Um, and she really enjoyed it. And she's been trying to spread the word again because it is kind of like a kind of an indie, um, not well-known um, black comedy, essentially. Um, and I'd love to see Taika Waititi go back to this sort of level. I think after, and we'll talk about maybe where we want to see him go next, but I would like to go let him go small mm-hmm. and give him the freedom to do what he wants rather than some massive temple. 
funny I saw someone online and you know the girl it was a great idea but it would never have happened in a million years that she thought that uh, Love and Thunder should have been like a mockumentary and it was just like similar to the way that if you remember that Taika Waititi did those shorts in between some of the Marvel films with, with Daryl and stuff and then there's one with um, the, gra- the Grand Master and they wanted the whole film to be like what we do in the show style that would have been great and you see flavors of that in those films but the moment you get a flavor it's switched to something else so you get very it's very diluted apparently there's like a four-hour cut of love and thunder and they said it's very um very beautiful i mean i'm sure yeah it'd be a lot to get through but it's a bit like uh, monty python-esque that's how he described it um and i just yeah i think full-blown taika watiti could be interesting yeah, I mean, he actually said about that four-hour cut, he did say that, you know, it'll, ne- it'll never see the light of day. And he disagrees with director's cuts, actually. He says that they shouldn't be a thing. And he says the four-hour cut is just another, th- like, two hours of me- of him and Chris just having jokes that don't really land and stuff. So, um, which is fair. It's fair that he came out and said that and stuff, you know, instead of people being like, oh, release the Taiga with TD. It is very rare that a director can, like, take his hands off the wheel for a bit. Yeah. It's good. I remember Ridley Scott did this, did the same thing. He doesn't really do director's cuts too well. So, um, but anyway, moving on. Um, to two years later, he he um, wrote, directed, and produced Hunt for the Wilder People. And this is one that I so I think my first film I saw of Taika Waititi was Thor Ragnarok. But then I went back to Hunt for the Wilder People afterwards, um, and it was one that's kind of it's set back in um, New Zealand. Am I right in saying that? Um, and it stars Sam Neill and the other little fella. It's called Julian Dennison. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a the description of it. It's a national manhunt is ordered for a rebellious kid and his foster uncle who go missing in the wild New Zealand bush. And um, this is kind of this funny kind of team up between the old, the older Sam Neill who plays Heck and then Julian Dennison who plays Ricky Baker, who's just a fantastic name. And he's this little like almost like a, like a little chav kid. <laughs> Uh, and he's great and uh, I love that film I think it was funny this is one my dad actually turned off halfway through because he just didn't find it that funny and he's a big fan of, of Taika Waititi but I loved it I thought it was once again a lovely film that is really his big one isn't it like in terms of critical acclaim I know Thor Ragnarok is just a behemoth because it's an MCU film and it's a different style of MCU film but I remember speaking to people from New Zealand and the two films that tended to come out whenever they're saying the best film ever to come out of the country was Lee Tamahori's Once Were Warriors and then The Hunt for the Wilder People. And it's rare that you get something like that recent, mm-hmm. people just citing it instantly. And Mark, have you seen this one? Yeah, yeah, saw this one, I think, same sort of time as you, um, just after Thor Ragnarok. And I, I did really like this. This is a solid film. Um, and I rewatched it because I gave it a 7 out of 10 and thought, hmm... Did I like this? I thought I liked it more than I've rated it. And then I watched it again and I still don't think it's quite as good as what we do in the shadows. And boy, um, I think in the second half it kind of falls into... It's 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 fine and it's good, but the, the humour stops. It loses that. Um, and I mean, the, the tank is kind of funny that she, she ends up running after him in a tank and it all just gets out of control basically. But um, yeah, I think the first half of this film is funnier than the second half. There's a bit of a running theme here, isn't there? With every film that we've discussed, how long can we take his humour or how much can we take his humour tends to be the thing because a lot of your criticisms, Mark, are saying, yeah, I enjoyed the comedy of this part but not of this part. 
or Corey, your dad, is turned off because he didn't enjoy the humour. And I know I feel the same about uh, some of his later films, but... I, in fairness, in all of his earlier stuff, I could watch it on repeat. Most of it, you know, I I, I rarely get bored of, of his movies. Um, One of the next ones that has come up, Jojo Rabbit, is one that I probably wouldn't watch again because of its, its subject matter and stuff. And, you know, some of the dark bits in it, I, I didn't find it as enjoyable as the other ones. But, yeah, before that, we have, so the big one that we just kind of touched on before, which is uh, 2017's Thor Ragnarok, which is Taiko Tini's first big um entrance into the MCU. And we've kind of talked about how different this was. to other. Yeah, definitely. Um, so obviously this film had a very, very, very different style to the, the MCU films that came before um, in terms of the way it was shot, the way it was directed, the, you know, the, the comedy in it was um, a very different from what it came before. Once again, you know, it's funny because it, it's real comedy, but it is the, the storyline is kind of not really dark but it's quite a serious storyline so Thor Ragnarok is this kind of like battle of the, the gods and you know obviously there's going to be gods that die and stuff we do get the death of Odin finally um, which is quite sad it was definitely a very sad moment of the in the movie and um, we're introduced to some new characters we have Kate Blanchett who plays like Thor and Loki's half-sister is that right um and then we get uh, Tessa Thompson's introduction as Valkyrie and um, Jeff Goldblum as the Grandmaster and Idris Elba's back as, as Heimdall and of course Bruce Banner is, is back, Mark Ruffalo comes back into this one. Um, yeah, some great great comedy moments in this, especially, you know, he bounces off um, Tom Hiddleston really well as Loki, you know, the, the brotherly thing. And it's, it's so interesting seeing how those two characters have changed through their movies, you know, sometimes they're super serious. I mean, there's always been the jokey element between them, but like, as you said, he's, you know, the character is completely kind of transformed from like serious Thor to this kind of like jokey kind of and it works well it does work i think well. it does a lot of people are complaining about thor love and thunder that he just becomes a bit of a a butt of his own joke or a butt of his own film basically but um i think it's i mean yeah i do think there's times where i mean it depends if you want your consistency across the board with your character and you don't get that with thor but i don't i, I think it's better that he isn't like that now to, to be honest I mean, yeah, Taika Waititi really... Everyone wanted a piece of Taika Waititi after this film because it, it. I don't think any other part of the MCU kind of rejuvenated quite like Thor did with this film. Um, and I think maybe it's always like you can't have too much of a good thing um, where maybe they've just went a bit overboard with Taika Waititi. Um, and I guess what made Thor Ragnarok probably you know, as successful and as, as good as it was. I mean, I, I wasn't really on board with it, but I know a lot of people were, was that you had this nice balance between your creative director and the studio, and they were able to balance both tones quite nicely, whereas I feel like they lost that balance in this one because, I mean, it's been happening in Hollywood, with big, especially big projects for ages, where you'll get one director that does something that really clicks with audiences and then they go, right, that's what audiences want, so we're going to give that director, he knows what he's doing, and we'll just leave them to it. But actually, what made that director really good was that nice relationship balance. And I don't know if that's maybe what's happened here with Thor Love and Thunder, is they've went, yeah, Taika, you know what you're doing, we're leaving you to it, even though that's not what produced Thor Ragnarok in the first place. I think that's a I think that's right to be honest I think that's what's happening with a lot of his films because once you get a certain credibility you're just allowed to do whatever you want and sometimes that works very very badly I mean in my head Tarantino is a perfect example because everyone's just like yeah do whatever you want and then he just goes right I'm gonna make a grindhouse film or 
let's just make every film three and a half hours long with an, an additional book beside it. And you're just like, come on, mate, stop it. So like two years later, he has this big kind of, I suppose, oscar moment, you would say. I mean, I think, I don't know if Ragnarok won Oscars, but this oh, no. was, no. Maybe a couple of visual visual effects awards, but like Juju Rabbit, so um, 2019, which of course, um, come Scarlett Johansson, he's obviously teaming up with her again. I don't know if he probably knew her through one of the Marvel projects, but um, yeah, Juju Rabbit, of course, it is a bit more of a serious topic than what's come before. It's, you know, a young German boy in the Hitler Youth whose hero and imaginary friend is the country's dictator. And he's shocked to discover that his mother is hiding a Jewish girl in their home. So obviously this film had a lot going on. You know, obviously Taika Waititi himself plays Adolf in it, um, Adolf Hitler. And we've got young Roman Griffin Davis who plays Juju, um, Tom Thompson McKenzie who plays the, the Jewish girl Elsa, and Scarlett Johansson as Rosie, um, Juju's mum. This film I gave, I'm a, I thought I had given this a low score, but I have given it 9 out of 10. I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought it was great. I loved the, the kind of, um, you know, the imaginary friend with um, Taika Waititi. And I think after seeing him, I hadn't really seen him perform that much. You know, I've seen him in What We Do in the Shadows. I heard him as Korg, but, you know, seeing him um, embody that character was quite funny. I know there was a lot of backlash. A lot of people didn't like the fact that he was playing Adolf, Adolf Hitler in a movie. And it's stuff. a risky move, very big risky move. But I'd like that I appreciated the the swing that this film was. You know, this is a big swing on a World War Two drama, and I I appreciate that. I wasn't a big fan of this. I don't think the humor landed for me at all, really. Um, and I, I don't I don't think it was like insulting or anything like that. There, it was just. The, the the jokes were not that great and i also i thought this film was very critically rewarded like i thought unlauded um and actually it's got a meta score of 58 which i'm surprised by um because i thought a lot of critics got behind it and that's kind of why it got nominated well, yeah Oscars. critics can get behind it as well i mean the the oscars tends to be if the if the industry likes it and by the stage taiko titi was just beloved by the industry so i, th- I remember that it was Twice Greta Gerwig went in as the Oscar favorite for screenwriting, and twice she got completely like just destroyed by uh, first Jordan Peele, second Taika Waititi. Just in the last few, the last few awards, they just completely turned around. So she's currently Oscarless. Um, uh, she could win one for Barbie. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I liked, I liked Jojo Rabbit. I liked Thor Ragnarok. But I think Mark hit the nail on the head whenever he said there was an issue with balance in some of the films. And I, th- I think with Thor, my issue was that the balance wasn't there between him trying to tell like a really energetic story about, uh, is it Asgard is the, the place they're fighting over? And to the point where it was so focused on having fun and then just throwing in elements of story that whenever you got to the story, there were points where I was watching it and I thought, I forgot Kate Blanchett was even in this film. Like I just, I just did not think of her when she wasn't off screen because it was too busy having fun with Jojo Rabbit. The issue is that they have fun and then they go dark, and sometimes that is like the best thing you can possibly do if you get a really good tonal shift from just really light, delicate, funny things to really dark drama. It can hit so hard, and I think my issue with it was watching it you don't feel that visceral hit. It's just, okay, that bit was funny and that bit was sad, but I don't feel that sad about this and I don't think that's that funny. Yep. 
totally agree that's exactly what i felt a big thing with love and thunder and i think he manages to hit that balance really well where you were saying about being able to you know kind of balance them both and and bring them in at the right points in the likes of boy Mm -hmm. and his earlier projects because that's where he hits it and i think he maybe needs to do you ever feel that where if someone's too confident they can maybe just miss out on the subtleties of things i that's what i felt like even though i hadn't seen his earlier films i thought do you know what maybe maybe his earlier stuff hits better maybe he was just a little bit more in control but now it seems like as mark's loving to say today uh he spread himself a bit thin so it's just it doesn't hit quite as well now again i say i enjoy this film i think there's great stuff and i think he directs scarlett johansson so fantastically even though she could be not directed at all and deliver great stuff he does have a new film coming out next year which when i first heard the concept of this film i was super excited about it and it's about a dutch american football coach thomas rongen and he's tasked with turning the american samoa national team considered one of the weakest football teams in the world into an elite squad now i think this is going to be it has michael fassbender in the lead role as rongen and it has elizabeth moss in it as well and i heard like this team got beat like 26 nil or something and i just i'm a big as anyone knows i'm a big fan of football and i think this could be really funny um uh, i was gonna say it's, it's a film that i think there was some theory that it was going to come out around the same time as jojo rabbit or mm-hmm. it was in production instantly after uh when you were reading the cast there's two people you missed out there there's rachel house who's his most common collaborator and an actor that nobody really talks an awful lot about new zealand actress um very talented uh and then you've also got will arnett who was recast he was a recast from army hammer who was in it which explains why it's a film that was shot years ago and has been reshot and is now slated for next year when it could have been out a few years back what would you like to see taika would do next football comedy (laughs) (laughs) i will see him do more tv I mean, is TV stuff at the minute? I know the obvious one to go for is What We Do in the Shadows, which we've discussed because it's both one of his biggest films and it's definitely his biggest TV series. But I think one of the virtues of Taika spreading himself quite thin nowadays is that... (laughs) Sorry, Mark. (laughs) Is that um, when he's doing these films, I mean we've discussed some issues with his new films and about how they don't maybe hit as well some of his earlier stuff and he has two series out at the minute one called reservation dogs which is um written and directed entirely by native american people and starring predominantly native americans as well and he's also got another one called our flag means death with reese darby again and that's sort of like a it's like a it's almost like a stealth rom-com. It's it's very unusual and it's got a large number of uh, gay characters in it and they're all pirates. It's it's absolutely delightful. But it's quite nice to see that Watiti's come on to these projects that are other people's passion projects and he's come in and he's helped them write or direct or he's starred in them or he's produced them and he's just helped them to get realized in the best way possible. And I think that's becoming a really nice legacy that he has that he's finding these gems that would never get funding or maybe wouldn't get viewership and he's both helping them creatively and then helping them with his own star power and as well for our flag means death he's even started trying to do a bit more of his dramatic acting that he used to do in his earlier career i mean i saw him in free guy 
and he's definitely, definitely the worst thing about it. <laughs> Unfortunately, I felt bad saying that because you know he's he's always got such a good humor about him, but it's just it's yeah, it's just a little bit OTT, and it's nice to see him like rein himself in, and you go, yeah, shit, he can do this, he's great. Yeah, I haven't I haven't finished Our Flag Means Death myself, but I I totally agree. It has that um, it has his flair to it, and I think in the last episode there was just a, a like a, a conversation between two of the pirates, and I was just pissing myself laughing because it's like this is his like flight of the concords comedy but we're still seeing that in 2022 and it's it's great to see um and yeah as you say he sprinkles himself in as an actor as well um he was in mandalorian as well he played the robot in mandalorian he also directed an episode of mandalorian yeah probably one of the best episodes of that season as well the in Okay, just to wrap up, um, just to talk about what Taika Waititi does have in production at the minute. So not, not in development, but stuff that's actually in production. Time Bandits um, is a TV show. It's based on Terry Gilliam's 1981 film. So it uh, centers on a young boy who discovers a time-traveling portal in his bedroom. And the second one, which I, the second one I haven't heard of, but this sounds class. Um, it's written by Jermaine Clement, directed by Taika Waititi. It's a film called The Incal. An epic space opera centered on shabby PI John DeFool, who happens upon a mystical artifact known as the Incal, an object of great power coveted by many factions across the galaxy. So it looks like it might be based on a, um, a comic book. It looks pretty cool. And the big one is Akira. So he's going to be directing the Akira live action film, wow. I believe. Um, which is the, it's about the leader of a biker gang who tries to save his kidnapped friend from a powerful supernatural experiment. I haven't seen the original Akira, so no spoilers yet. I only saw, I mean, you can't spoil it because it's just, it's just, it's just an experience rather than a, a thing. I remember seeing someone, like an actual film critic, just say that they just watched it high and <laughs> with no sign and said, have you ever just watched it? Have you ever just looked at the visuals and you're just like, you don't need story, you don't need anything. And to be honest, you don't with it, but that's a bit that's a bit unusual yeah so we'll see how it goes um it'll go badly i'm sorry it will well that's just, a lovely way to end this podcast just, thank he's you going much, to Alex. feel okay so yeah um, thank you very much everyone for what uh listening today and um, we're going to be back in another couple of weeks uh there's a new mark's got a new article out on our website um www.thefilmfrequency on box office i believe yeah the box office for the first six months of this year fantastic thank you so much mark um, so yeah you can check that out and of course you can find us on all the various social media channels but until next week uh, keep watching films bye